Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to the Runs Roll Podcast with me, Rick Pearson. And me, Ben Hobson. Hi, Ben. Well, we haven't got Jane, but we've got an amazing guest today because we're speaking with Nick Willis, the Olympian, and recently the first person ever to run 20 sub four minute miles. 20 years in a row. Yeah, it's, inc- it's incredible. Before anyone gets like too much, oh my God, like sub four minute mile, this is going to be intense. This is, you know, oh, it's too, it's, it's, it's unperceivable. I can't, because that's how I feel. So, like when you, these incredible athletes who can perform these phenomenal times and you kind of like, it, you can almost feel like it's unrelatable. I want to stop you right there because Nick just hands out for free mad knowledge, <laughs> mad Great advice. Great applicable advice for milers of all um, speeds. Exactly. And Nick's here just to promote that wonderful distance. So it was really nice talking to him and you'll enjoy it. So, you know, stick around. Um, In equally exciting news, Ben, uh, how's your running? Good, actually. Just, uh, we were were allowed... Sub four? Yeah, a couple of sub fours. Just banged them out. Um, Sub sub four minute, 400 meters. Um, Yeah, uh, we're back in the office, Rick. Um, but you, you you missed out the first week back in the, the office since uh, Plan B or whatever the government were calling it has, has been lifted. So th- we're back and we had our, a team a team run last week, which is always a joy out with the gang. Um, uh, and then yeah, I went. I did some running this morning to doing some jobs. Do you do that, Rick? Do you ever do errands running? Errand yeah. running, yeah. Increasingly, I think when um, time is tight, the ways to make runs actually useful for other people. That's mm. a that's a big big plus, I think. So I ran, like it, yeah. And I think it's very. Also, it probably feels like that's probably why we ran. To, that's probably why we started running, wasn't it? We we ran not for for pleasure, but for to actually mm. get, get get stuff, stuff done. done. Yeah, so, I ran to screw yeah. fix <laughs> to get some bits to fix my sink. Oh, lovely! But I went the longer way, which meant I saw a bit more of like an interesting part of my local area rather than just down the main busy road. But yeah, it was nice. I need to listen to Nick's advice and not get too excited about running and doing too much too soon because I haven't really got any plans, but there's a risk of just doing a lot, if you see what I mean. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think one of the great things Nick talks about is sort of, a bit of having a bit of a structure which and having a bit of a progression to training. What, but one of the takeaways, I, I think, of it, that this has obviously been a thing for Nick. I don't think he set out to run 20. Are you going to spoil it? Are you going to spoil this now for everyone, right? Are you giving too, no, too many what, spoilers? Okay, well, what I, was, what I really wanted to say was that I think it's quite a nice thing in running, regardless of how quick you are, to have maybe something that you that you always try and be fit enough to do certain yes. 
something every every year. Yeah, Do you I mean? get so that. For me, I've I've always been like, um, like I know that I'm in the kind of shape that I would like to be in, and consider myself to be like fit if if I can run like under 130 for a half it's always been a sort of like a mm-hmm. marker and i probably would be in some ways a little bit disappointed personally if i didn't if on a kind of flat road course if i, if I didn't do that i'd think okay i need to get i need to get fit yeah um and i feel like that's maybe a time where that i would try to do for you know maybe see if i can do that for the next 10 years um is there any do you have any kind of benchmarks for for running or would you, or one that you would consider um because i think it can be a way of kind of keeping I guess just kind of keeping you interested and keeping keeping you know training a bit and all the rest. Yeah, of it. I mean, me and our esteemed editor in chief Andy Dixon spoke about this once, um, and we we both concluded that having it wasn't necessarily like time specific in terms of speed, but just having the base fitness to to comfortably tick off a ten miler. Hmm. So I mean, that could be that you you know you. you could, you could be doing 10 minute miles it doesn't i'm not saying it's like you have to be doing like seven minute miles or something do you know what i mean it's not a race but it's just yeah, having yeah. that base fitness to go and the, i think probably about leg condition and like everything feeling good that you could just do a 10 miler and it'd be like yep still got that so that's so it's not necessarily like a performance thing like your one but i kind yeah, of feel like yeah. having a general, general a general running condition because i feel like 10 miles having the, the, the sort of the, the, the muscles and the ligaments and the tendons everything has to be feeling to do 10 miles you have to be like everything has to be in good form i think that's like a good a good distance. yeah yeah it's a good marker yeah. isn't it yeah but um i think i, I think i think i prefer the, the your approach because well certainly what nick talks about which is the mile you know you, you've definitely got to build up to it if you want to do well at it but at the same time it can sit there burning away just maybe <laughs> sort of love that Anyway, yeah, it'd be interesting to know what listeners have yeah. if they've got a, a kind of yearly returning goal. Let us know, podcast at runnersworld.co.uk. Could be stuff like you've got your your favourite local hill, and if you know you can get up it in under three minutes yeah. or something like that, then you're on you're on good you're on fine fettle. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, it can be a training thing for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, Ben, uh, we got a letter in actually that was in um, reference to last week's podcast, which was on um, Dom and Ferris from Trash Free Trails. Love it. Very interesting, kind of looking at. Um, yeah, looking at, at kind of cleaning up our trails and, and the reasons, you know, why people might actually litter in the first place. Well, um, it's on the internet, Rick. Anyone mind. who hasn't listened to it, get it. Yeah. finish listening to this one, then go back to the previous episode and listen to that. But anyway, so we got a, a it was from a guy called um, Shane, Shane from Devon. Don't know his, his surname, but Shane wrote and said, Listening to Trash Free Trails on the podcast uh, got me thinking the other day, just why is LucasAid the number one item of trash found out there, which is what yeah. Dom said. Um, I could accept Coca-Cola or Monster Red Bull, but LucasAid. Um, so I asked my 15-year-old son why uh, this might be, and his reply was, due to the sugar tax, they're a pound a bottle cheaper than energy drinks such as Red Bull and Monster. So that's possibly a simple enough reason why that is. Um it was also interesting a few days after your pod to see uh, a trio of lads at the uh, skate park next to our school um, uh, accompanied by three bottles of LucasAid, um, which, uh, which backs up this claim. So, yeah, it might, it might just be as simple as it's the, it's the cheaper, oh, it's a cheaper option. Shane, Shane from Devon and your son, thank you for adding some valuable market research into that. that Because I was wondering that. I was sort of thought, hmm. I didn't realise that. I thought maybe that maybe like advertising had done its job and everyone was perceived that LucasAid was still the sports drink of choice, but maybe it's just because it's cheaper. Yeah. There we go. Perfect. But there you go. Yeah. 
Anyway, should we get um, should we get yeah, Nick let's on? talk to our guest of the week. So our guest this week is a two-time Olympic medalist and recently became the first person to run a sub-four-minute mile 20 years in a row. So welcome to the Runs World podcast, Nick Willis. Thanks for having me, guys. It's an honour to be here. What an achievement, Nick. I mean, obviously, you're, you're incredibly successful middle-distance athlete anyway, but there's 20, 20 sub-four-minute um, miles. Did you, did you ever think that might be possible when, it's, when it kind of ran your first one? Uh, no, I never imagined myself running past probably late 20s. My brother was a sub four minute miler himself, but his career ended when he was 26 with a knee injury. So I just assumed that was part and parcel yeah. for being a runner, right? <laughs> yeah, that's it. I suppose you take on a challenge until you explode and that's that's as good as it gets. And I, I was a willing participant in that, <laughs> thinking that that was going to be the case. I even remember my dad when I was, I think, I was 31 and I'd, I'd had some success, right? I'd won an Olympic medal and couple of commonwealth medals and he's like yeah it's probably time to hang it up nick you want to be able to like move around with your kids <laughs> and i'm like i'm pretty sure this is actually keeping me more healthy if i the second <laughs> yeah. i stop running i'm going to start doing things way worse for my body than running is we'll get into the consistency of it because that seems to be the biggest sort of like hottest take from this whole thing is to be consistent over the distance for that long but we, can we talk a little bit about being an olympian and, and all that stuff before we get into the other thing that everyone seems to talk about with you and just like your Olympic time, your time being an Olympian and, and how that was for you. And, you know, how do you look back on that now? Yeah, it's, I have such a vast and varied experience, obviously having been to five Olympics over a very different stages of my life from a, a wide-eyed 21-year-old where I was just soaking up every possible element of that Olympic experience to when I was 38 going to my fifth games in a pandemic and all of that sort of stuff. But I think my real Olympic experience starts just like everyone else who might be listening or has ever turned on the TV and, and watched the games. Like I'm a fan far before I ever was a participant. And um, it, I was just captivated. I watched every possible second. And on the old VHS tapes, I recorded all of the races. So to finally get to the games myself and be one of the people on the other side of the screen, I absolutely envisioned little kids like I used to be watching likewise and I'm being proud that there's a New Zealander on the start line and whether I finished first or last that was the secondary to the fact that there was a black singlet on the start line with all these other great nations so I felt very honored and privileged to to represent them proudly and um, hopefully give them the belief that it, it could possibly be them one day. With, with them with the mile Nick it's obviously I mean in in Britain we obviously think about the sub four minute mile because of Roger Bannister and it's a real kind of it's a real classic distance. Did, did it have that, that kind of magical quality for you when, you when you kind of first really seriously got into running? Were you thinking, right, the sub four minute mile was something that you were like, I guess it's, it's a sort of, it's a notch, isn't it, on any very serious athletes um, wants to kind of, wants to get under their belt? Yeah, I mean, I first got into running when I was four years old, so I didn't really care about the mile at that time. Like, <laughs> I did the 60 meter race and the high jump and the relays and all of that sort of stuff. So, but I actually got to witness a sub four minute mile run on grass by the great Rod Dixon um, at a at a local wow. grass track like 400 meters from my house. Um, so I thought, oh, that's cool, because like, this this guy's <laughs> an Olympic 
where he's like an Olympian of a uh, New York City Marathon champion. Like he was a hero. Like that was just awesome. Yeah. But when I became old enough to like start thinking about distance running, my brother, who's eight years older than me, he was trying to achieve this endeavor well before I was, and he didn't succeed for a handful of years. And then when he finally did it, it was a really big deal. And um, that was I, he was my hero, right? And all of the guys he raced, I thought of, wow, these guys are like next level if they're beating my brother, who's like the greatest runner ever. Um, so yeah, that sort of set the stage, uh, obviously, for when I finally had a chance. And then I ran a 401 mile um, just after I finished high school, like a month after. And that sort of set the stage for it launched my name to the national and international sort of running world and so it sort of nick's gonna be the next guy to keep the new zealand torch flying after all of the yeah. greats that we've had in the past so i i was excited about that opportunity that people were going to open a lot of doors to give me that chance to try and do that yeah can you tell us a bit about the first time you got under four yeah it was um well again i ran the 401 in high school and then the following year when i, I took a gap year after high school and I tried to uh, beat it the next year at the same meet, and I thought, well, of course I'm going to run faster. I've improved every year, but I only ran a 404 the following year in that same race. Um, and so I had this monkey on my back. Now I was like, I got to get this out of the way. And when I finally um, started getting in shape, it was the following year I was in America at college, and um, I knew I was ready to do it. But then you have to have the right race sort of play out and have the opportunity. And I remember the night before. My training partner and I, we were in the, sharing a hotel room and we were trying to decide, all right, who's going to be the one go behind the rabbit because the pacemaker will get you maybe a third of the race through. Yeah. And then someone's going to be left out there as the sitting duck to keep the pace going. I was like, yeah. no, you do it. No, I'll do it. No, I'll do it. You do it. And like we're sort of going back and forth because whoever was going to lead was going to get beaten by the other person. We were so similar in ability, but we both knew we were ready to break for. And I was like, I'll do it. I need a sub four. Like, I don't care if you beat me. And this was very counter to the way I typically like to run. I like to sit in the back and bide my time and save my energy and go for the win at the end. But this time I was like, no, I don't care if I get beat and I just need to get this time. And so I'm really proud of that. I, I led most of the way and sure enough, four guys passed me in the last <laughs> couple of hundred meters and I finished fifth. But um, it was very personal, like finally get this sort of weight off my shoulders and after the race, I, I left the building and got on my cell phone and called my dad back in New Zealand. I was my first year living overseas, and so a little bit of homesickness. And so there's quite an intimate personal moment between me and my dad, which was very counter to how it was when I did this one more recently, when I shared it with my wife and my kids and my coach and my friends and my family. Like, my life is here in America now. How did you go then from, as you say, like this one, this little personal target kind of replicating what your brother had achieved to then it morphing into this thing that kept rolling and rolling every year and and to the point where you've got like a an event on new year's eve hosted for you to try and get the next that 20th one well to be honest it sort of took care of itself mostly um the fact that the mile and the 1500 meters was the event that i seemed to excel on most out of all of the track and field disciplines um I was just trying to be the best runner in the world at that event and the the big the big events around the world who wanted me in their races happened to be mile races whether it be indoor races in america or the emsley car mile at the 
um, in London or up in Gateshead or in Sheffield. They ran in a bunch of different ones there. Or in New Zealand, like the feature race was a mile because the, the tradition of Bannister and we sort of like the old English tradition, we, we maintain the mile as, as the feature event. And um, so I, I managed to tick them off without realizing that I was, I was just racing um, to try and win races and make prize money and make a career out of it. And it wasn't until the 17th year that I'd done it in succession that I suddenly was informed about this. There's like a, a streak record and there was a list of different athletes who had done it a number of times. And the person who was leading, who had the most years of successive sub four minute miles was a fellow New Zealander, John Walker. And I was never able to win Olympic gold or break the world record in the mile like he was, but maybe I could beat him in the streak, right? And so uh, I'm 36, I think I was at the time. I can keep running for another couple of years. This is enough of a carrot to um, justify getting out of the door and and, um, and doing the, the training that most 38-year-olds and 37-year-olds would think, rubbish, I don't need to do that to my body anymore. <laughs> so yeah, that, that, was, that was the motivation. Can we talk about the training in the next? Presumably you've had to slightly change it as you've as you've got into mid thirties, is it is it fair to say that you have to kind of adapt a little bit as you get older, and, and some of the stuff you could get away with when you were twenty three or something, you have to, you can't really do now. Yeah, I'll be honest, I haven't actually changed a ton in the last ten years, even the last fifteen years. I made the I made the major change to my training when I was about twenty three, where I used to do a lot of hard intervals, a lot of fast stuff, the stuff that has you leaning over the rubbish bin after a workout, where you got that lactate headache and you just want to die, right? Um, I got rid of that from my training when I was about 23 anyway, and so I, I ran a lot more like a 10,000 meter runner in my training, who also did hill sprints and did 100 meter sprints in training. So I, I worked both ends of the spectrum, but neither is like that gut-wrenching training. It's just like that toothache tr- pain. It's a lot like what Jakob Ingebrigtsen and these, these new guys out of Norway are doing. Um, we started that about 15 years ago and it's a much more sustainable type of training and you can do it on your own a lot more you don't have to have a coach like holding you accountable to these like just terrible experiences <laughs> on the track like yeah. um that's not a sustainable type of training i think that's why i was able to do it longer and why i haven't had to make too many adjustments now i'll bet the, the other sort of interesting thing is i've actually had a significant number of injuries through a lot of my career but none none of any consequence in the last five years. I've actually been the most healthy I've ever been. And I chalked that a lot down to becoming a, a father and like starting to do all of the activities with my kids as they sort of went through their progressions from crawling to walking to running and like all of the different obstacles and games that they like to play. I slowly adapted to their movement patterns in a way that was like gradual enough that I now can run through the jungle gym and hang on the monkey bars and <laughs> yeah. go through the tunnels and <laughs> wrestle on the trampoline. My body's actually used in a much more three-dimensional way than it was for so many years of my running where you have such a linear movement patterns. Anything that's sort of different to that, you're suddenly vulnerable to um, pr- to pinging a muscle, right? So I'm, I'm a lot stronger and more well-rounded athlete than I was when I was younger because of my kids. That's great to hear. That's and it's quite often you're told the kind of opposite, aren't you? Like, parenthood's going to make you maybe less of a good runner, but you know, there are other benefits, obviously, for having kids. But it's nice to hear that actually there can be a running benefit to it as well. Yeah. 
I know, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm really tired. Well, it, honestly, sure it's, it. it's the reason. I mean, most people listening here probably do the marathon. And yeah, sure, there's yeah. a temptation for me to like give the marathon a go. But I've decided I'm not willing to really do more than about 50 miles a week anymore. And for me, I'm not going to have a world-class performance in a marathon off that. I'd need to do 80 to 120 miles a week. Sure. And that would just really detract from family life i want to still be able to do all of those activities with my kids every day and i've got all energy i need off 50 miles a week but once i get up to a 90 i'm just on the couch the whole time and yeah pretty pretty miserable the training you talked about sounds really interesting and much more appealing as you say than kind of hammering yourself at the track or which i think is something that even lots of amateur runners probably do some sessions too hard and it's almost like their best running happens on like tuesday night or something rather than the race day could you just tell us a explore, tell us a little bit more? So when when you talk about the fast stuff, like hundred meter sprints, we're we talking kind of strides here, stuff that actually isn't it isn't, it isn't really hurt. It's more a kind of like muscle impetus part. Like how did you get that speed in there? Yeah, so basically my standard way of like keeping my body fast and have fast twitch activation is in three ways. So firstly, in the weight room, I'll lift heavy weights but on low reps. Um, and then on the hills, I'll do hill sprints for like once a week. I'll do like four to six times, only 10 seconds. And I'll like take a three minute rest between each sprint. But like I really get myself full recovery. Then they'll do all that sprint just for 10 seconds. And you're really having to recruit those fast twitch muscles as you run up the hill because that's creating that resistance for your muscles. And then thirdly, once my shins and my feet and my legs are ready to I've, I've given myself maybe a two or three month lead time to get my body up to that level. I'll do sprints the same way, but on the track and spikes. Um, and so the key is to like build into all of those different areas over a two or three month period. We all know that you can't go from zero to a hundred miles a week in a couple of weeks. You got to spread that over a three month period. The same applies to all other types of physical like stress exposure. You got to like gradually adapt to that, um, that stress load. And so, but once you're at that level, sprinting is actually the best form of stretching and mobility exercises you can do. It's just like animals or cheetahs, you don't ever see them stretching, but because they're sprinting all of the time, they're putting their muscles and their joints through the full range of motion. Um, and it's the best way to prevent injuries once you're at that ability to like actually do it and that, that activity itself isn't causing injuries, right? Yeah, right. So if, if I'm doing like 10,000 meter training and getting really strong from long intervals and long rounds and tempo rounds and threshold rounds and fart legs, and I'm super fast from the hill sprints and the weights and the track sprints, the other stuff in the middle is gravy. You only need about two or three weeks of that stuff each season. You don't have to do huge, I still do it, but it's in much smaller doses at a really concentrated portion of the season as the final icing on the cake. The cake is the, the main work that you put in and that's just a real fine tuning at the end. Hmm. It's good to hear actually, especially the approach of keeping it like, keeping it sensible and level in the progression, especially when it comes to the gym and stuff. I feel like that's the sort of people can get sucked into just that being like, I've got to go and absolutely hammer myself in the gym now to make myself go faster well that's why i think the parenthood angle is the real key i didn't suddenly jump into playing tag on the jungle gym with my nephews or nieces i would have gotten injured because they were already at a level i wasn't ready for 
but your kid takes two or three years to slowly adapt to those movements and so i had like a very gradual build out and now i can do things that i never thought my body would ever get back to being able to do this is the runner's world podcast cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. If anyone listening Nick cuz what I like about the mile is that obviously someone who's like a brilliant runner like yourself the sub 4 can be something but you can go all the way back where it can be like a sub five for like a club runner, like a sub six, sub seven, sub eight. What what advice would you give as when it comes to actually racing the mile? So some of the training I think is really applicable and that's great. But when it actually comes to executing it on the day, your best mile, what would you say? Well, the problem with the mile is it's just as delicate a balance for pace judgment as the marathon. If you screw up that first 400 meters, it's going to come back and bite you in the end really badly, just like a marathon does. What most people end up doing is they do an okay, they either go a little bit too quick in the first 400 meters, and then they settle in on the second one. The second 400 is okay, but then their third quarter, they totally have a brain meltdown and they like back off big time because the pain's too much for them. And then they rally the last 200 meters again. And so, is this whole fluctuation and it really doesn't sound that different to a marathon like for a lot of people maybe not the rally at the end but the beauty of the mile like in a marathon if you screw it up you have to wait another three or four months before you can have another crack at it you literally can do a mile if you do a training block for eight to ten weeks you could run three or four miles in succession in consecutive weeks after that training block and you have a chance to ride the ship so i say Go in, no holds barred on the first attempt. Just go out and run it however you want. And then from that point, okay, I ran a 6.10 mile, but I like look at, if you like look at the different elements of the race and where it's only bit. Now let's see if I want to run a six minute mile, I need to run 90, 90, 90, 90. But in order to run those 90 second quarters, your effort level for each lap is actually going to be significantly different. The first lap, the effort for a 90 is really easy. But that third lap, you really have to concentrate and really knuckle down. And it's that toothache grind. That's where the tempo runs in the hills and the fartleks. You really concentrate on helping you relax through that pain on that third 400. Most people can sprint the end for that fast one at the end, but they don't know how to relax through the pain. It's easier to force it through the pain, but relaxing it. So the third quarter is the hardest part. Um, but I think the best way to run a mile, no matter your ability, is to run even splits 
and then tap into your anaerobic system for the final 200 meters and then you pick it up by two or three seconds. So if you want to break six minutes for the mile, it's going 90, 90, 90, and then you're in like an 87 for the last 400. That's interesting because, yeah, I'd be tempted to think, oh, maybe you need to create a sort of time buffer with this stuff where you kind of like, you kind of predict some slowing down and then but hopefully you're you're ahead enough at that point but actually that doesn't kind of that doesn't work well you have two energy systems that you tap into right your aerobic system and your anaerobic system if you have crossed that red line before the sort of minute to go mark you can't actually tap into the anaerobic system that's like this it's like your nitro button on a race car that you don't actually have it as an option so you want to be able to tap into it but if you're too far behind time, like it doesn't matter how much you've pushed the nitro button, you're, so you want to get as close to that red line as possible without crossing it. Mm. That applies to most races. A real art. Did you a real always, art to do it right. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever use, was what was the metric that you went with? Was it just perceived effort? Did you do a lot of heart rate stuff? What was your kind of, did you, or did you not, did you just guess kind of the whole thing? Right. I mean, because I grew up running before all of this technology stuff was available, I didn't have those to rely on. So I just... I slowly learned it over time and my true love in running is single track trails and you don't have any sort of metric to measure your output when you're on those anyway it's just running to time and by feel and so I'm sure I am going by heart rate but it's like a internal gauge relative to myself the biggest danger of people using heart rate is that they compare it to like a uniform measure of what everyone would average in the middle but my baseline heart rate is going to be different to somebody else's and we might both be the same level of ability running but a 150 heart rate might be really hard for me but it might be their jogging pace so you it's hard to you got to only use it relative to your own ability yeah i find it fascinating because that's the one sort of thing that i think that the modern evolution of running and the reliance on tech has kind of like almost robbed people of that ability to kind of assess themselves how they feel and like what what feels correct and what doesn't and that's why just a stopwatch and a distance the track itself is just such a perfect way of measuring your effort and being like actually if i'm honest with myself it was horrible but i could probably have done it a little bit faster and then you realize that that your your threshold is actually that little bit more than just a, looking at a watch going oh no i did a my heart rate was 175 that was that was zone five i better chill out like it's just the two things don't kind of work and that's the beauty of doing hill workouts is that all of yeah. that gets thrown out the window you have to just go by by effort and if you start if you overcook it then you actually can't get up the hill if it's steep enough <laughs> <Yeah>. so <laughs> it like forces you to have to like run conservatively and build into it you talked about running for new zealand and what that means for you and what an incredible sporting nation new zealand is across you know everything from sailing to rugby to, to long to long distance running do you think there's something in the culture in new zealand that creates really good sports people year after year uh i think at least when i was growing up um there's like a lot of opportunity to just explore your own interests and um i remember i would play four or five different sports in the same season because we only had one practice a week for each sport um and there was a lot of freedom as kids we sort of made up our own sports a lot of the time um it seems like most of our really good athletes though don't come from the big cities so like new zealand has also become susceptible to the same issues that a lot of other places around the world have in the big cities but it's more the people from the suburbs or out on the countryside more so kids who grew up on the farms who got to sort of have a broad um 
a broad excellence in sport but like we've really struggled at tennis gymnastics swimming all of the really technique based sports we haven't done well at and i think that's because you need a much more rigid structure around like talent identification and like coaching right from a really young age we excel in sports where you want to have a broad ability and then you bring that together once people are teenagers but if you need to be able to practice right from a young age we've never done well at that stuff like we're the worst tennis country in the world and <laughs> yeah it's true actually yeah. and we're pretty we're pretty pitiful at swimming as well and i think those are sports... as an island is surprising because yeah. you know everyone's got to be you know you want to be swimming everywhere, right? i guess that's swimming isn't yeah. it but yeah i know what you mean yeah no, but that, that, that's why we're good at triathlon because it's like yeah, right, some, yeah. it's someone who's good at multi-sports yeah, yeah. because yeah, we we don't have those money-hungry coaches probably yeah, or the yeah. systems in place to like profit off of youth sport. Um, do you, I mean, have you got any great uns- uh, aspirations with the record anymore? Like, is, was now that you've done 20 consecutive years, do you feel that you can you know keep running the mile but you've sort of like the, the record itself is just kind of like a thing now that continues or have you got are you it's sort of is the four minute thing not as important um i would like to think that i'll be motivated again to go after another running goal at some stage because i worry that if i don't my body's gonna start i'm not gonna look after my body in the same way i really enjoy feeling fit and flexible like stretching is the first thing to go out the window when you're not worrying about track racing anymore but like it's an amazing feeling when you're going through the whole like three or four week preparation before a big race where you do all of your stretches and your drills and your muscles feel unbelievably good like you feel like a teenager again i'm worried that i'll never get to experience that again unless i have like a real carrot to work towards but the truth is i don't really care about my personal running ambitions anymore like i've I've done enough of all of that. I, I'm really excited to help other runners out by pacing them in workouts or races. But if there was one goal, it wouldn't be necessarily the sub four streak anymore. It'd be to see if I could do it as a 40 year old. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's be honest, it's a little bit cheating because with the new technology and spikes, it's probably worth two or three <laughs> or four seconds anyway. So my 359 the other day is really like a 403 in the old technology. So. Oh, no. no it's fine. You can't it's say legal. That. It's fine. You can do what you want. That's have, you done, have, you, have you been back? Have you sort of gone uh, old school and got out some old just, you know. Yeah, I, I did stuff. it the other day in training because I, I only brought one spike down to practice by accident. And my friend had a pair of old like ASICs cross country spikes in his um, kit. And I said, I'll wear those. No worries. And I'm sure there was like a bit of like a placebo effect, but like I was struggling big time. You become quite um, dependent on the support structure of the new shoes that you can adapt to the old shoes. And I think I was one of the people who probably doesn't have much of a change because I already had like innate God given strength in my ankles and foot structure to like, I didn't need the carbon rods to stay firm on my on my foot, foot plant, right? But I think it definitely helps a lot of other people and maybe me in my older years um, who don't have quite that rigidity down there in the lower limbs. Nick, thanks so much for making time to, to speak for us at Run As Well. Brilliant to talk to you about um, all your achievements in, in the mile. And I hope that people listening will be inspired to try and run their own best mile, whatever, whatever speed that is. So thanks very much for your time. Hey, cheers, guys. Thanks very much. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. This is the Runner's World Podcast. Do you know what, Rick? I think that we've had... I'm not going to show off now. Our fair share of Olympians on our podcast. But 
I every time that you speak to someone who's been at the sharp pointy end of doing running quickly, like the the level of uh, insight and uh, just knowledge that they've accrued over the years and, and expert that you just suddenly go, oh, they're smart. <laughs> they know what they're doing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I, I love what you were saying about the kind of polarizing his training to the point of these kind of six to 10, to, I think only six second sprints. That, that And that's partly how he's getting his speed working. So he's not having to do the kind of really grueling like eight times 800 meters sessions, which is probably more common in sort of traditional running clubs in the UK that although can be effective, can also very hard to get your head around mentally and maybe up the injury chances he's testament to kind of this very consistent way of, of doing things so i thought that was that was an interesting part of his training yeah when he was talking about the volume of, of work that he does as well and it's something that um i've spoken to my friend andy who is friends with nick actually who helped organize this podcast and um uh they're talking about the and he mentions it um then about the sort of um scandinavian approach that some of these guys that the scandies are taking and and uh sort of volume of effort and sort of perceived and not actually absolutely battering yourself at threshold but sort of keeping it a bit lower down and, and making it more sustainable it just it makes so much more sense it kind of you know when you when you but um it's not something i'm particularly knowledgeable on so i'll let those guys explain more at some point but it does as you say like consistency and he and nick was saying consistency uh, being that key thing and just sort of working towards things steadily progressing through stuff be it mileage or gym work or whatever physical thing it is that you're working on don't just kind of ramp everything up at once it's just got to be such a steady progress like that's and that's how you get there yeah that was that was another really good point i hadn't thought about it at all like like you say like speed work we kind of think we can just jump into don't we like yeah look just go out and yeah. run a session like you know training box yeah, starts yeah, yeah. this week like, okay tuesday speed work i better yeah. go and we'll smash out some 500 you know you yeah, can yeah. very quickly get injured and then it's like before you even get started you're you're injured or you're kind of slightly compromised because you tweak something whereas actually like yeah let, let, let's think about building that gradually as well and actually yeah you, then you may be able to put together a really consistent exciting kind of training program over five or six months um but anyway no it's great and yeah i as I was saying, one of the things I like about the mile is I think it's really, you, you can get great challenges all the way up. So like, you know, from sub four to sub five to sub six, sub seven, sub eight, sub nine, sub ten, whatever whatever kind of a great challenge is for you. It's something that you can quite easy train towards. You can get it wrong loads, like Nick was saying. Like, it's not like, oh no, the marathon, six months, you know, I need another six months to try again. Like, you could try again in six days. Yeah. You know? It's kind of... Um, and he's right. And he's right. If you break the sort of, the, the four, if you break a marathon into four quarters, each lap of the of the mile, each you know, each one of those. If you break, you know, if you break the marathon into four quarters and sort of like think, consider the the mile to be of similar quarters. First five k of a marathon, cruising. Second five k of the marathon. Oh yeah, maybe. third one. Oh my god, what am I doing? So the final one is all just power and emotion and whatever it is. And it's the miles. You know, that's the, that third one. That third penultimate lap is where that time gets you because it's when it really hurts and then you just kind of like hopefully crack on with the last one so yeah it's it's i'd say it's good marathon prep certainly a condensed emotional roller coaster before a marathon is, is, is that's what that's why everyone should do a mile i think that's a good point mate often, yeah often sort of the third lap the penultimate lap is is the one and his his suggestion to relax during the pain because you know there's that temptation when things get harder to kind of tense up and be like this is really hard but if you can kind of stay um yeah, if you can relax and know that it's difficult, but that you can you can get through it, and that's probably the best way of um, 
of going about exactly. it. But anyway, Nick Willis, thanks very much. What a man of insight and a man of great ability. Exactly. So that brings us to the end of this week's One as Well podcast. Huge thanks to our very special guest, Nick Willis, and to you, of course, for listening. Uh, so you can subscribe to One as Well magazine by going on the internet and Googling One as Well UK subscription. There you will find it. Then you can pay your money and you'll get a magazine to your door every single month and you'll be all the better for it. Um, please, you know, like, subscribe, everything that you do with podcasts, tell your mum, tell your friends, just search Runners World UK podcast, they'll find it, they can subscribe too. Thank you for listening. You'll hear from us again next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.